0: say am say I'm, Might say I'm over the top. but there's like no but so pop is overstocked. They say amazing grace. So I'm in the van driving the girls around town the other day. And uh, Audra mentions something along the lines of... yeah, in tennis, the instructor was doing this game called "Back of the Bus." And then she continued with the rest of the story. And I was listening, but not as, you know, perhaps closely as I normally would, because yes, I'm such an attentive mom that I've, I listen to every word my children say with bated breath. So, you know, I was trying to listen to the story, but I just, I had to stop her and check in on something I thought I heard her say. I said, um what was the name of the drill he was running and she said back of the bus and i said what's that and she proceeded to explain that back of the bus is when all of the kids taking tennis line up and the instructor stands in front of them And he throws the ball toward them, and they attempt to hit the ball. And if they do not hit the ball, the instructor yells, Go to the back of the bus! And then the kid, who did not hit the ball, has to retreat to the back of the line. So I could hardly believe my ears. When Audra told me this story. And uh, because I tend to respond to absurdity, good or bad, with laughter, I started to laugh. And then Audra started to laugh a little too and said, Yeah, I thought that game was a little weird. And then we started the conversation around the fact that that drill is more than a little weird. It is wholly inappropriate and problematic. So Audra said, you know, when we played it, I thought it was a little weird, but I felt uncomfortable and I wasn't sure what to say. And the funny thing is, normally when Audra picks up on something, I'm really grateful that my kids are very aware of when something uh, is racially charged or problematic or inappropriate. They often will be the ones who come to me and say, "Mommy, can you believe this? This is so racist, so on and so forth." In this case, she felt it, but wasn't in a context where, you know, she was certain of it and um didn't feel like she knew exactly how to navigate it. And I think, quite honestly, this tennis course that she took wasn't her favorite thing. So, you know, I think she just kind of maybe forgot about it and um, didn't tell me. Uh, So when she was actually talking about it, but doing it to tell a story about something else, um, she mentioned the back of the bus part almost like it was an afterthought. Once I called attention to it, she then was able to share, yes, I thought something was up with that. Yes, it made me uncomfortable. Now, I was appalled. Like, let me just really dig in a little further, right? I mean, this is, I, I, I am part of a community that, you know, touts itself for its diversity and its attention and hope and focus to be equitable. And this is a program that, you know, we paid for. It is offered by the community, you know, it's like the, the part of the summer pro- summer programming. So your hope would be that if you send your child to summer programming, there aren't things within that programming that are traumatizing, stigmatizing, embedded in uh, the worst of our country's history. We would hope that exercises and games that our kids are playing aren't causing any harm. But in fact, you find out after a casual mention that they are. So I was um I was pretty appalled. Admittedly at the same time, I checked myself because clearly I I have a thin skin when it comes to this stuff. And what I mean by thin skin isn't that like, you know, my feelings get hurt easily. But, you know, I'm pretty on alert in my life for these types of micro slash macro aggressions. And I try to check myself on occasion and make sure that I am not overreacting. (laughs) Uh, It's important to me, right? In order to do this work earnestly, I think it's fair that I challenge myself on occasion. So I heard this and was appalled. And I was sensitive to the fact that Audra also felt a strangeness around it. But uh, I wanted to make sure. So I mentioned it and talked to my sister, Gina, from Sistises, uh, And I told it in a way that I tried to appear as unbiased as possible because I wanted to gauge her reaction. She, too, was appalled and couldn't believe it. So at that point, I was able to say, OK, so I'm not crazy, right? Like, that's not OK, right? And, and she said, that is more than not OK. So once I had that confirmation, uh, I felt uh, empowered to do something about it. And I decided I was going to contact the program director and let her know that I thought it was wholly inappropriate and that I expected the exercise to be removed from the lesson plan. So I'm going to read to you the email that I sent her. I wanted to share a concern about one of the exercises conducted in Audra's tennis class. Audra told me the instructor regularly ran a drill called back of the bus. The kids lined up and he threw the ball for them to hit it. If they failed, he would yell, go to the back of the bus, and the kids had to go to the end of the line. Audra told me that the exercise made her uncomfortable. Are you aware of this exercise? As a Black parent and an equity, diversity, and inclusion consultant who travels the country conducting workshops in communities, organizations, corporations, and schools, this exercise is wholly inappropriate, stigmatizing, and hurtful. Ultimately, the message is, if you fail, the punishment is to go to the back of the bus where Black people were forced to go before the Civil Rights Act. So failure, not hitting the ball, leads to a consequence, and the consequence is a result of something the child has done. And the punishment becomes something they deserve because they aren't good enough and don't measure up. This communicates that black people, before the Civil Rights Act, were somehow complicit or responsible for the requirement that had them sit in the back due to the color of their skin. This stigmatizes black kids in your program. This reinforces to white children that black people deserved their fate back then. I understand both black, white, and children of color all participate in the exercise, but the messaging doesn't change no matter who ends up in the back of the line. Please let me know that this exercise will no longer be conducted in the tennis program as soon as possible. Best, Tanya Gull. Tanya Gull my married name. So that's the letter I wrote, and I just want to, you know, focus in on a little, a few points almost in terms of the uh, architecture of an anti-racist email right so i am purposefully very detailed in this type of an email because i want to make sure that there is no confusion right so that whoever i am writing to doesn't sort of find a loophole or a way to sort of hide behind something that I miscommunicated. I also included in this case, because there is a child involved, that the child expressed a concern as well. right? So it's not just adult to adult, but this very program that you are creating that is catered to children, you are making the participants uncomfortable. Uh, I wanted her to know that I am a Black person, a Black parent. And this, I think, is useful. I. D- Self-identifying is important in these conversations, whether you are black, a person of color, or if you are a white person, because it gives the person reading the information context. So they know in this case that it's coming from me, a black parent, but it's also important and useful and in some ways sometimes has more currency when... Somebody identifies and says, I am a white person and I have this problem, concern, right? I wanted her to know my credentials because I want her to know that this is coming from a place of expertise as well as concern, uh, just because those are the facts, right? So I don't think you have to come from a place of expertise when you are expressing a concern around race and equity, Uh, but certainly if you have the expertise, I think it's useful. To mention it. And so I purposefully went into why I had an issue with it because you know what? It may not be obvious to everybody. And I'm very aware of that. And I think part of my role in this work is to bring forth the nuances of things because this is how this stuff continues, right? It's not overt, it's not obvious. And so it can slip by and continue. I mean, I am assuming that this is an exercise this particular program has been doing for decades, right? And that kids for decades have been playing this game where you are sent to the back of the bus because you failed, right? So that's why I went into an explanation about why it was problematic because clearly I can't assume that the program director knows this because the program director allows for it to happen. I also did want to emphasize the question, are you aware of this exercise? Because it's possible that they weren't. Yeah? It's possible that their instructor went rogue, right? So it's all about, first of all, doing my best not to accuse or make assumptions, right, that she is somehow teaching this herself and telling instructors to do it, Um, understanding that I might be providing a service by letting her know that it's even happening within her program, right? So in a way, that's, that's creating sort of an allyship even between you and the person that you are expressing a concern with. And in a way, you are assuming best intentions which in a, in a way, sort of psychologically speaking, lets that person off the hook and enables them not to immediately go to the defensive default. So I wrap up with, please let me know that this exercise will no longer be conducted in the tennis program as soon as possible because I am giving a call to action. I am setting an expectation So now it is on the person receiving the email either to fulfill that expectation or deny it. And then if they deny it, Houston, we have a problem, right? Then I know, oh, this is not a friend. It is a foe in this anti-racism conversation. They are not willing to acquiesce. Now I can address things differently. A couple more things about sort of the anatomy of an anti-racist protest, right? And I'm I'm talking on this uh, one-to-one exchange, yeah? Because so much of this is small work, micro work, that actually has large-scale impact, right? So I'm going to tell you, actually, the response to the email in a minute. Uh, but I I just want to run through a couple of things I think that are important as well. It's really important to uh, follow all the way through, right? So I think sometimes what happens is, you know, we, um, there's an upset, and maybe we do the first round where we send the email, but maybe we don't get an email back. Maybe there's no response, and then something else happens, and that goes by the wayside. You know, I think literally if you are really trying to be in action as an anti-racist, you really need to, I think, almost have a to-do list, right? A task list, reminders uh, that tell you, okay, email sent on such and such day, a reminder three days later if you haven't heard anything to follow up, so on and so forth. And so let me jump in now with the first response that I got, add a few more thoughts. Uh, So I wrote this email um, the other day, and it was 10.26 a.m., and at 10.31 a.m. I got a response. Very good, right? and this was the program director, and she said, Tanya, thank you for sharing this with me. I want to apologize to you and Audra for this, and I am sorry that an activity in our program made you both feel uncomfortable. This is not acceptable. I will discuss this issue with Name Redacted. Uh, He is the owner of Name Redacted and our contracted vendor. The instructor is one of his employees. I will explain to this person that I would like to see this activity taken out of the lesson plans. Thank you again for sharing, and please don't hesitate to contact me if you have any questions or concerns, right? So that is the program uh, coordinator in my community. And they contract a vendor to do these tennis classes. Um, This letter is pretty good, right? It acknowledges the impact it apologizes for it, um, or she apologized for it, apologizes for it. Um, She lets me know that she thinks it is unacceptable. I do think there's a little nuance there. um, When she says, I'm sorry that it made you both feel uncomfortable, um, you know, that's a little bit of that, like, well, I'm sorry it upset you versus I'm sorry what we did caused pain. A little nuance there, but still pretty good. She puts her action plan in place and lets me know that it is going to be immediately addressed and taken care of. I was satisfied with this letter. I wrote her back and let her know that. So, that's a closed circle, right? But if you notice in the email, she does say that there's another person involved, right? The the vendor who provides these instructors and the lesson plans. And so my work isn't done. Yeah because there's now another person I need to speak with. Because while it might now be taken care of within these youth programs um, provided for the community, there's a vendor out there whose instructors may be doing harm somewhere else. So I wanted to directly contact that person. So I did. And I wanted to stay the messenger because I could have just said to her, Great, thanks. Will you please make sure to let them know that they also should take it out of any programming they provide anywhere? Yeah. But that's not keeping uh, control of the narrative, right? Then that would be me relying on this woman to do that for me versus doing it myself. So I then got the contact information of the vendor and sent essentially the same email copy and paste in this work. Is your friend. The vendor, when I sent them the email, got back to me. And this is what they said Yes, Tanya, I was made aware of this. Thank you for your email. That's it. So this person, number one, misspelled my name, (laughs) which ain't cute. You know, like when somebody is complaining and, and addressing an issue. And they've written their name a number of times in the email that they sent. Could you, could people like bother to see that and freaking spell the name correctly, or is it actually passive aggressive? This is what I wonder. Anyway, I digress. So I was not happy with this. I felt dismissed by Mister Vendor Person, who gave me no details. You know. I The email I wrote, I actually added at the end for this person that I wanted them to let me know how they plan to move forward in their other offerings, right? But I also wanted to contact you directly so you can address it with your instructors and within your offerings. So please let me know how you plan to move forward. So that was how I ended it. That was my call to action. Yeah. So it's one thing if he just didn't get back to me because like either he wanted to ignore it or he hadn't come up with the plan of action. So he wanted to kind of have something to be able to share with me. But for for them to just sort of what felt to me like blow me off or placate me. No, 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 no. Mama, don't play. Mama, don't play. So I replied with. How will it be addressed within your association? And um, I waited, right? And if I didn't hear back, I would have followed up and followed up and followed up until I knew for sure that he was putting plans in action to make sure that no matter where this vendor was offering their programming, that back of the bus would be a thing of the past where it belongs before the civil rights movement, yeah? After that email, I did get a response back, and they said, we will take that game out of our lesson plan moving forward, which is all I was asking for. That's all. And this vendor spared themselves from getting blasted on social media because that's where I was going to go next. If I felt as if this dismissal was going to stay Or that I didn't have a sense that I was going to get what I was asking for, I would have gone on social media. Ta da! So, all that being said, and all this being said, because I really, you know, I want to encourage and ask all of us to be aware of the impact we can make in these micro ways that have macro impact, right? Like, I feel really good that moving forward, This is gone. No more kids are going to be doing this. We're done. Right. And it was just a few emails back and forth. Good, good, good. This this is kind of a a small pivot that has to do with some of what I want to talk about today, which is we're going back to school, everybody. In my district, we have a week left before school begins. I know some folks Have in other areas already started back to school and some will start later. But I wanted to spend some time on how to uh, be anti-racist in the school year for our kids, for our communities. So this is my back to school special. And I'm going to just share some thoughts and ideas, you know, and partly and how it's connected to the tennis story is. You know, these really damaging things can happen within uh, our educational uh, venues and nobody ever knows about it until it's too late. You know, there are a number of stories in the past few years about how uh, schools have gotten uh, called out for doing various versions of like Runaway slave games to, in their mind, teach kids about team building and uh, to celebrate Black History Month. Yeah. So, here are a couple of the things I'm talking about. So, in 2019, for Black History Month, uh, a Loudoun County elementary school played a runaway slave game in gym class. Essentially, consisted of third, fourth, and fifth graders. They were instructed during their physical education period to play a game that involved students working in groups, pretending to be runaway slaves and advancing through an obstacle course meant to represent the Underground Railroad. And I know it's shocking, but some parents had some issues with that. They found that problematic. It's hugely problematic, and somehow this gym teacher thought it was a good idea. And, you know, these are white kids predominantly with some black kids in the class running around pretending to be slaves. You know, the way this happens, I am beginning to really suspect actually that it's twofold. It is either utter profound ignorance or something else is going on, something deeper, something more insidious. Sometimes I start to think these, like, supposedly ignorant gym teachers and stuff. I mean, are they actually finding ways to infiltrate within their jobs their own beliefs or messaging with these organizations and then apologizing later if they get caught? Just putting that out there. Uh, You know, I am based in Chicago, and uh, here's another story. This was a school uh, who did role playing slaves in underground railroad simulation. And uh, in this case, the kids were on a field trip away from their parents. And they did a historical simulation, which apparently has been a part of the middle school curriculum for 10 years, right? And so they take the kids out of town and then they do a runaway slave simulation in the woods I, I, I mean it's just astonishing in my high in my community there was a high school teacher who for years used the n word in a lesson plan as a way he thought to sort of impart himself with the students and sort of be like, I'm cool, I'm down, I use this word, this is a white teacher. Until finally a child spoke up. And then, because it was on the surface, the teacher gets suspended uh, without pay, I believe. Um, But faculty knew about it all along. It had been going on for years. We have a problem. In our education system if this is happening and if we have to wait for kids to be the ones to let it let us know what's happening before anything can be done to change it and so partly this is about how we get in, involved ahead of time how we can preempt some of this yeah how we can uh learn about what is actually getting taught in our curriculums before they ever even get fed to our kids and understand exactly what is happening in our social studies classes. How are we addressing slavery? At this point in our social studies classes, I think there needs to be a section on white supremacy, right? There's so much work to be done and we cannot sit idly by. And this is as parents and this is as community members, by the way. So this back to school angle I'm doing You know, every fall, there's sort of a new start, you know, whether you are someone who has kids or doesn't have kids, you know, but it's like you are in these organizations. And if we all sort of look at the fall as, you know, a back to school launch, you can have impact in your community, in your organizations, in your churches, at work, and use some of the things that I'm talking about here today. I'm going to share now some things that I have found online that I think are useful in terms of exactly what I'm saying. Like, what are things you can do at the beginning of the school year to help create an anti-racist school environment? So there's a Rachel Cargill, who is an anti-racist activist. Uh, she is very active on Instagram. She shared something, and I credit her fully for it, but I thought it was really great. Um, She shared something that she calls the classroom ally, and I'll just read you some of the ideas she has in terms of, at the beginning of a school year, how you can um, be anti-racist and work in collaboration with uh, your children's school to help set the tone and your expectations. Review the syllabus and see how many authors assigned for reading are of color. Two, ask the teacher which historical figures of color who have contributed to the field will be honored and taught. Three, request the teacher's insight into how students of color will feel safe and heard in the classroom. Four, inquire as to last time the administration required an anti-bias and anti-racism workshop or course. Five, for lower grades, take a peek at the classroom space and talk with the teacher about how diversity is represented in the images used to decorate and supplement the classroom six ask for insight into whether staff and faculty numbers represent the student body do students have teachers and faculty who look like them if not ask when that will change so that's six things you can do conversations that you can have with your Child's teacher and your child's principal. And here's the thing you know, this is advocating for everybody, right? This isn't your, your, your direct line with the teacher strictly advocating for your kid. Uh, this is going to have a large scale impact, whether you have a child who is black, a person a child of color, or white. Um, one thing to think about here, too, is you know, the room parent, every school has a room parent, uh, and they help with. The Halloween party, or how to organize birthday celebrations—whatever it is, room parents do. I've been a room parent, and I can't recall anything, so I must have done a great job. But the point being, I—what if we had an, you know, a parents anti-racist classroom aide, right? <laughs> who, you know, they are volunteering to be the parent who is looking for opportunities to be more equitable. Throwing ideas out there. Another thing we can do as we start in this school year is take a look at our PTA and uh, challenge the demographic of it. If you are noticing that it is predominantly white, speaking to the principal about what can be done to change that. If that's inevitable because there aren't a lot of minority kids uh, in the school system that your child is a part of, that doesn't mean that equity should be left out of the conversation in fact it's probably more urgent and important one thing i think is really important in this work is to challenge long held traditions in any organization right so it's like sometimes it gets to a point where well we've always done this so we just continue to do it um in my district Many schools in the district for years had something called Pioneer Night, which was essentially, you know, all the kids sort of reenacting uh, all the different contributions the pioneers have made to this country without including any of the narrative of genocide and, you know, slavery or any of those things. So that it was perpetuating this myth, right? Right. It was dismissing the harm, and it wasn't representing children of color. So um, at a certain point, as people started to, after years, express their concerns about this, or maybe they'd been doing it all along, they finally got heard, and now Pioneer Night is no longer, um, anyways, in my kids' school, they no longer uh, do Pioneer Night um, because it's not inclusive. So, that's something that had been long standing that originated at a time where inclusion was not in the forefront of everybody's mind. And then it just kept going until somebody challenged and was bold enough to ask why. I want to end with something that I am calling the uh, anti racist backpack. And literally, it is things that I would put in a backpack that will empower us, inspire us, enable us to be anti-racist in our schools, in our communities, in our organizations, in our churches. So imagine a good old trans jansport backpack. These are the things you can pack in that backpack to help you be anti-racist. So a flashlight. Uh, Anti-racist work isn't like turning on a floodlight in a room and the whole space gets lit at the same time. But that anti-racist work is is like having a flashlight that lights your step, step by step out of a dark room until we are out of that room, right? And you are lighting the path for yourself and others. So in your anti-racist backpack, you need a flashlight. You need a raincoat. My husband has a saying that he loves, which is, don't piss in my ear and tell me it's raining. Right? So uh, you need that raincoat for people who are trying to piss in your ear and tell you that they are doing what you are requesting of them. For example, Mr. Tennis Vendor, don't piss in my ear and say, yeah, I got your email. Thanks. I need you to follow through and really do and answer the question that I asked of you. So you need a raincoat, you need a water bottle because hydration's important. And you need to do a lot of talking sometimes in this anti-racist work, a lot of talking, a lot of action, so you need to rehydrate. I have two books I'd like to recommend for your anti-racist backpack to read uh, that I think are nice sort of compliments to each other. So I've talked about this book before, Birth of a White Nation by Jacqueline Badalora, that through extensive research, exposes the period in our history when the word white was invented to create a power dynamic. And that was the beginning of systemic racism and how it was put into American law. And another book that I really recommend that I haven't even read yet, but I'm going to read. And I'm actually quite proud to say that the community I live in, our school district, is uh, doing a year-long examination of the book. Uh, This book is called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And the author is one of our leading anti-racist educators, uh, Ibram X. Kendi, and that is available now. Uh, So, those are two books that I would recommend for your anti racist backpack. I think that you should also pack a race card. Yeah, I said it. Because, really, another way of looking at a race card is just that it's a truth card. When people say you're pulling the race card, it's usually in response to you calling them in about something very truthful that is problematic. And I have a race card, but in fact, a white person can also use the race card, right? You may not be advocating for yourself in that moment, but you can advocate for others by pulling it out. So you should have the race card in your anti-racist backpack. I recommend having contact information for key players in your community and district. For instance, have the contact information ready for your school principal, your district superintendent, Your PTA president, uh, room parents, translators, snacks, because I like snacks. And you have to stay fueled for the fight, the revolution. Also, there is something called the compass, which is a big piece of the work done uh, in Courageous Conversations, which is led by Glenn Singleton, who came up with this uh, way to navigate difficult conversations around race. So if you have this compass in mind as you navigate these conversations, you can keep yourself in check and go, okay, am I in my feelings right now? Do I need to move off of this for now? So on and so forth. So uh, Glenn Singleton has written um, courageous conversations about race. A Field Guide for Achieving Equity in Schools. That's another book you could add to the backpack or at least the Compass uh, Get some more information about that because it does really help you come from your center. So that's what I have for you today. Like Tanya's Take on Facebook. I am at Tanya's Take on Instagram, on iTunes. And if you would rate and review, it is great, greatly helpful. All right. Pack your backpack. Get to work, people. Maybe it'll be all right. Maybe you're all wrong. Amazing Grace, thank you, Lord. Bobblehead, shoulder pop. Work a lot, it's never sweet.